Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you as always from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. Boy, do we have a jam-packed episode this week. I'm glad you've decided to tune in and listen to these talks about Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week, and welcome to those of you checking things out for the very first time. Sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. Folks, I've got three, count them, three interviews this week. It's unbelievable uh, the amount of of people I was able to line up. Uh, We're going to talk to Ted Swetzler from Twins Daily. He was on way back in February. We're talking Twins. We're going to have our new segment, Wisdom with Wyatt, as we break down the Vikings game from last week, and a special guest from the Philadelphia Eagles side of things to prepare for next week's Vikings Eagles showdown on Monday night. Rick Verbanis is with us this week as well. So let's get right to it right now. Joining the program once again this week, Ted Swetzler is with us from Twins Daily. Uh, for longtime listeners, Ted, it's been so long. Back in February, I think you were on the show uh, talking twins in the in the you know preseason and everything. And here we are, almost at the end of the season. But I'm glad you could join us back on whatever flips your waffle. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're the twins are a little distressing these days, but we want to kind of look to the future here and say, all right, we got some some good names coming through the minor league system. I think. And, and what, you know, if we start at like AAA, and we've used a lot of these guys this year, but what are some names that Twins fans can look forward to hearing from um, maybe even as soon as next year that's down in St. Paul? Yeah, it's nice, obviously. Um, I don't remember if we talked about that back in uh, the winter or not, but it's fun that the Twins are uh, now connected with the Saints who are just across town. Uh, there's been a handful of guys that have came up, obviously, already this year. Uh, Louis Barlin was probably the biggest uh, excitement, uh, having really developed as a hometown kid, coming from AA and then making a short stop at AAA. Uh, but I think probably the biggest name uh, on the other side of the ball is going to be Matt Walner. Um, I mean, he's had a great year. He had a great year at AA. He was a guy that probably came up in... Um, trade discussions throughout the deadline period. He's made a ton of strides to uh, really elevate his game. He's always been a big power hitter. Uh, He played pitcher and outfield for Southern Miss before the Twins drafted him. He might have one of the better arms in the entire system, even as a pitcher. Uh, But he has an absolute cannon in right field. He's not a great fielder, but he's definitely not uh, like Brett Rooker or you know, Josh Willingham or something right. like that out right. there. Um, but his biggest bugaboo before this year, before even really last year, he started turning it around, was the, the immense power that comes with the big strikeouts. And he's really turned around the plate discipline, zone control. Um, he's taken a lot of walks this year. Um, he's still going to strike out plenty, but as we saw with Brett Rooker um, at double and triple A, I mean, yeah, you can put up huge power numbers and whatnot, but if you're striking out at those levels, you're going to strike out even more at the major league level. And the Twins obviously don't want 
Matt Walner to just be a Miguel Sano type. <laughs> just um, thinking that, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the fact that he can draw walks is just a new aspect of his game that has really been a focal point for him. I know I talked with him, I think it was the week that he was promoted to AAA, um, and he had brought that up being such a, a, a focal point for him, but something he's so proud of, of being able to turn the corner. There's a lot of power guys uh, that can hit the ball far and hit it hard, but that's really become something that's now expected of those types is to also be able to get on base and swing at strikes. Right. Um, I think, you know, we're probably going to see Simeon Woods Richardson in the rotation at some point next year. Um, he's the pitcher that the Twins traded for uh, when they flipped Jose Barrios to All Toronto. Right. Yep. Um, it was probably, I mean, at the time, he was seen as almost like an untouchable along with Austin Martin from that uh, that prospect pool. And the fact that they got both, Austin Martin has not been good um, this year at all. But the fact that they got both uh, from Toronto was seen as such a huge get for the Twins, especially when they weren't choosing to re-sign or extend Barrio. Um, so he's a guy that would look great in the rotation. Uh, speaking of Austin Martin, I think he's got a chance, even though he's at double-A right now, he does have a chance to fill a utility-type role, I think, for the Twins next year. The biggest change that he's gone through um, is Minnesota trying to have him tap into power, and they've changed his swing a little bit. He never really hit for power at Bandy, and he hasn't hit for power um, at, at the pro level at all. Uh, he does have the ability to run into a ball, but I think he's more of a doubles-type guy. Um, and with the speed, he could turn doubles into a triple. So I think if he – this offseason will be interesting to see how Minnesota directs him to work on things and then what changes come about next year. But I think if he kind of goes back to his uh, more comfortable swing, I wouldn't see it shocking at all to see him get to AAA really quick um, and then maybe be promoted to the big leagues. The on-base percentage has been there the whole time, so it's more just choosing the right pitches to swing at and being able to – comfortable rather than maybe selling out for some extra power right and you know i when you say that i think of something rod crew wrote recently about you know he could have hit a lot more home runs if he wanted to but he he played to his strengths which was spraying the ball around the field and getting on base let the other guys come up and hit you and you know yeah and i think you know you see that at times too with other guys that uh are in that similar ilk. Luis Arise comes to mind. I think he could probably hit for a little bit more power, but obviously it's going to sap that average, too. Right. So, yeah, I think Austin Martin may be having a, a change of focus or a change of approach, and obviously that's something that Swins have to want to buy in on, too. Uh, but I think that that's, that's something that could definitely help him take a step forward. Okay. And, you know, you mentioned Louis Varlin at the beginning, and, and he had a really successful debut at Yankee Stadium of all places. Um, you know, maybe had a shot at a win, and the bullpen couldn't hold things together and everything. But, uh, you know, sometimes we see a guy come up, and, and it takes a little while, and the league figures them out. But does this guy have the stuff? Does Varlin have the stuff that he'll be able to continue to adjust and, and um, throw the by, uh, ball by a lot of guys, miss a lot of bats? 
yeah, I think, I mean, you saw that a little bit, or we've seen that a little bit this year with uh, Joe Ryan. I mean, he had, I think it was five starts last season, and he's relatively dominant, and now he's been a passable starting pitcher for the Twins this year. He's struggled against good teams and dominated bad teams, which is... I mean, a recipe for success. You probably <laughs> want to see a little bit better outings against the good teams, but um, Barlin probably has better stuff than Joe Ryan does. I mean, Joe Ryan doesn't throw hard. Uh, Louis Varlin was throwing, I think he hit 97 a couple times at Yankee Stadium, and that was really his uh, launching point, too, in his professional career. He left Concordia throwing maybe 90, 91, 92, and he's really worked to add that velocity uh, over the stretch of off-seasons and whatnot. I mean, finding that sort of value, and I believe he was an 18th-round pick, is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, I think he, long-term, is, you know, a 3-4 starter, maybe more of a 4 but he's definitely got the stuff to get guys out at the major league level. He could definitely be in the rotation right now as instead of you know Dylan Bundy or Chris Archer. Um, I just don't, the Twins don't really have the roster flexibility to be able to do anything with those two guys unless they were to put them on the IL or something like right. that. But yeah, I mean if the, if there's an open starting spot, I think. Uh, Marlin can certainly hold one down uh, for a while and he's been such a hard worker and a grinder throughout the entirety of his baseball career I mean he went to a D2 school got drafted late, wasn't a big bonus kid, has continued to rise up the ladder so the fact that yes obviously teams will figure him out or see the book on him and it'll be on him to work and do the opposite Right. Uh, we kind of saw that in his start in a very small sample, obviously, but you know he got Aaron Judge for his first strikeout, <laughs> and then Judge got him for a home run. But he settled in after that, and didn't allow it to balloon, and those are the types of things that, as they happen at the major league level, you'll be able to have that growth opportunity. Right, and you know we talk about like a three starter, a four starter, and I always think this is where the Twins have struggled the most is they have a lot of guys who are number three starters and you know to find that everybody last year thought well Joe Ryan will be the ace this year and as you mentioned he hasn't really shown that you know again beating doing well against the bad teams and getting hammered by the good teams is the definition of a number three or four starter um, but and I think too and, and you can disagree with me I guess but I mean Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer aren't going to be back next year they, oh, absolutely. You, you Both are on one-year deals. Well, I think Bundy actually has a – they both might have options. I think I know Bundy has a, a team option that won't be picked up. I think Archer has options or something based on incentives and whatnot, innings pitch. But, no, I don't think either will be back. And I think, you know, the bulk of starters in the majors are number three starters. Yeah, and I think right. really – what that kind of highlights too one joe ryan's immediate success was probably more in relation to the fact that people hadn't seen him yes that was a great trade and will forever be a great trade that the twins were able to get something of value for nelson cruz and aging nelson cruz but the rays wouldn't a team like the rays or an organization like the rays is not giving up joe ryan because they think he's going to be an ace his stuff is good it's decent but he doesn't throw hard enough to be an ace in today's game there's no 
there's no aces that are throwing, you know, 90 miles an hour. And right. I think it also brings up that conversation, too, that there's a lot of teams that don't have aces. I mean, for me, there's maybe, like, 10 number one starters in baseball. Obviously, every team has their number one starter and their staff ace. But realistically, they're just – that's why they're paid so heavily. That's why they never reach the market. The Mets have two of them in Scherzer and DeGrom. A lot of teams have none of them. Right. So you want to develop the guy that has the highest ceiling to be able to push that level for you. But, I mean, realistically, if you could build a rotation of guys that are two and three starters, you should go far throughout a season. It's avoiding the fact that you're going to throw fourth through seventh starters too, and you want to limit those options or opportunities as much as you can. Right, yeah. And, you know, like right now, probably Sonny Gray would be the number one starter on the Twins, but you put him in New York or you put him in Houston, and he's nowhere close to that because they have those aces, um, and he's no more than a number two or number three in those situations when he's healthy Correct. when he's healthy which is yeah but and that's been the problem been an issue. yeah that's the biggest problem you know i think you and i had talked about it back before the season started and and especially when correa was signed and everything and like i had predicted this twins team 82 to 88 wins i thought they'd be in the running for a wild card um and certainly it's still possible but the injuries are the hugest part of this twins failure right now it's not even a failure i don't think it's just reality setting in yeah i would agree with you it's hard to i guess it's hard to take a step back sometimes and remember how things started for a season because you're right like coming into the year they were not expected to win the division they were not expected to be a given for the postseason they were not expected to win 90 games i think you're right, a lot of people took, you know, that 40, or I'm sorry, that 80-ish um, total as, yeah, that would that would be a good season. I think it was realistic to think that the division being so watered down, and I mean, Chicago probably looked better on paper than anyone. Yep. I still didn't think the division winner would win too many more than like 80, 85 to 87, 88 games. There just wasn't a 90-win 90, 90 team in this division. And then you, you go through the season and the Twins have held on uh, for most of, of the year leading the division. But as you look each month and, uh, you know, the win-loss record gets closer to 500 or under 500, you can just see that they're taking on water as all these injuries pile up. And, yes, every team deals with injuries, but I think that there's a substantial amount of stock that can be put into the fact that the Twins are dealing with a, a substantial amount, but then also the guys that they're missing are incredibly impactful. I mean, Byron Buxton not being available basically the rest of the season is huge, and he's played through a nagging knee all year right. while also being an MVP candidate. I mean, not having some of your best pitchers, you trade for Tyler Molly, who, yeah, he had a arm issue with the Reds back in June, I think. 
I mean, you don't you don't know that that's going to flare back up. Right. Sonny Gray has missed time. Josh Winder, Bailey Ober, they've all missed time. Now you're you're missing Trevor Warnick, who would be huge in the lineup. Alex Kirilov not coming back from the wrist injury and needing another surgery. Like those things are all very. All those guys outside of Molly are were expected to be in the lineup on a regular basis and they just haven't been and that's that's crushing to a team and the fact that they've you know held serve this long is a testament in and of itself right and i and i think again health is a big deal but i think next year has always been their target anyway of 2023 which is very weird to me you're right it's very weird to me though there's so many questions about like why or will the front office be back or will Baldelli be back? Like I don't understand any anyone coming into this year from people I know in the front office and people that I've talked to around the team, none of them saw this as like a hey, we have to go for it this year. Right. Yeah. Signing Carlos Correa was not a go for it this year. They signed Carlos Correa because he fell in their lap. Yeah. They didn't have a shortstop. They were able to trade Josh Donaldson and save a bunch of money, and Correa thought, okay, now they have money to spend. Let's go and try and get a one-year deal there, and effectively that's what he did. Right. Uh, I don't. I mean, there's no way he's not going to opt out. That doesn't mean he won't be back. I think that the Twins will offer him a longer-term deal at a lesser uh, average annual value. I've heard some numbers from the front office as to where that will be. I don't think it's going to be in contention, but if he doesn't find a $300 million deal, I think he could come back to the Twins. Yeah, and I'd, um, I'd welcome him back. I, he hasn't had the year he wanted, but I think he, he provides a lot of intangibles to this team too. Absolutely, and he seems to like it here. And they, they'll have the money to spend, uh, so that's not... It's not a crazy thought, but absolutely, they they look at 2023 as much more of a window of competition for them than they did coming into this year. Jose Miranda's been one of the Twins' best players all season. He started at AAA. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to be a key cog in this team. Even if Alex Kirloff is healthy, he probably isn't going to just lead you know, the Twins' lineup this year. They, wanted to see him you know get acclimated and maybe do that next year so right. Royce Lewis wasn't necessarily projected to get here as quickly as he did this year now obviously he'll be coming off of another knee injury same with Larnick though too Larnick wasn't probably going to be leaned on as much this year as he will be next year right so yeah I think they see 2023 as a very big pivotal point and there's no way ownership is going to now look at that being the roadmap coming into this year see okay well we we were kind of in it and then we fell apart now let's blow it up it just that's not going to happen no no they they had they you always hope to make the playoffs of course that's your goal um but yeah and, and they showed you know they went and made some deals at the trade deadline saying hey we are in it and we're going to we're going to try to go for it, and that hasn't necessarily worked to their what the, the way they expected either. But those guys um, outside of Fulmer are also back next year too. And you can, even though you know Lopez hasn't been what we'd hoped he would be, um, you got another year with him. And, Absolutely. And, yep. and and there's a little more certainty in the bullpen, and and again he'll continue to develop, and we hope get better too. 
Absolutely, and they they were very vocal about that as well at the deadline, that they had no interest in bringing in guys that were rentals. They were not going to be a player for a rental um, type acquisition. And yeah, Fulmer is that, but his cost was so little that right. it didn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, but Lopez is under team control for two more years. Molly is here for a while. Like Those are huge additions for a team that this year they had Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer in their starting rotation to start the year. You're going to have Tyler Molly, Kenta Maeda, uh, Sonny Gray, and Joe Ryan all already circled as locks for yeah. next year. And you, you didn't have that this year. Um, and then, yeah, Lopez being back for the bullpen, their biggest thing I think this offseason will be a focus on fixing the bullpen, bringing in more. I mean, they only brought in Joe Smith this last offseason. So a higher uh, degree of addition there, I think, is big. And the fact that they don't have to – they don't have to go out and spend on pitching. They had to spend trade capital to get Sonny Gray. They don't have to spend capital or dollars to go get pitching now. Right. Outside of if you want to go do a big splash and try and find someone that slots in right by Gray and Molly. But outside of that – you have money to spend everywhere else on the lineup and largely or on the roster I'm sorry and largely the lineup is taken care of too by guys that are here and now establishing themselves so yeah it's, it's going to be bullpen or bust I think yeah a lot to look forward to and, and again some of those triple A and double A names we will maybe hear in the future too uh, Ted Swetzler thanks again for joining us uh, appreciate you coming on the program and we'll see you down the line again absolutely thanks for having me we're excited to introduce, as I've been hinting at the last couple of weeks here, Wisdom with Wyatt every week here on Whatever Flips Your Waffle. Wyatt Grosskreitz back with us. We're talking Vikings. Can we be more excited, Wyatt? No. I mean, this is the most excited I've been for a season in a long time. As people have been saying, I am drinking the Vikings Kool-Aid yeah. right now. <laughs> the purple Kool-Aid is out in force, beating the Packers. Uh what was the most impressive part of the game yesterday to you? What stuck out in a game of a lot of superlatives? How good the offense looked. I loved the new, just knew everything about it. Everything about the offense was great. They had new, like a new play caller, obviously, in O'Connell, but the formations looked fresh. It looked modern. They were finally looked like a modern offense. The last eight years has been... This 1980s, 1970s type offense where you run the ball 35, 40 times a game. They went out and threw the ball very, very efficiently. They used their weapons to to the best of ability. And they ran the ball too, but it complemented everything. It wasn't just we set up our defense. No, our offense is going to set up our defense. Right. And what impressed me right from the start, very first play on offense, you do play action. Because you have Delvin Cook. And if you're the Green Bay Packers, you're trying to guess run or pass first play. Um, you're probably leaning toward pass. But now you that play action, which Cousins does so well, you suck in a little bit of that defense you know, and, and work to get somebody open. You don't know what they're going to do. I, I loved how often they use the play action because with how good Kirk is at the play action, it's one of his main strengths. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when – He's doing a play action. And the fact that we're using it now to our advantage is great. Play action is something we need to incorporate more often into our offense, and it looks like they're starting to do that with Kirk. 
Yeah, and here's another thing. I don't know if you're aware of this. I saw this on Twitter after the game. So in the previous years, when they got in second and ten, Zimmer almost always, they, they ran second and ten. Yesterday, when they were at second and ten, which was not often, they did something different every single time. There was no no pattern to this. They ran. They did play action. They did shotgun. They did all these different things in second and ten. And those little things kind of jump out at you with this new regime. Yeah, I I liked how they the play calling I like because what they would do is in the old regime they used to use the run game to set up the pass now they're using the pass to open the run game and that's what you need to do in today's NFL the pass game is so explosive and so it works so well with the Vikings because you have Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, Irv Smith Jr. and Kirk if you can get the pass game going and force the defense well we need to stop Justin Jefferson the run game is going to open that much more set up play action. It just, it worked so well yesterday. Right. And I like to, you know, Alexander Madison got a number of touches out there because Delvin Cook is fragile. We all know that. And if you can keep him, it's it's the Byron Buxton syndrome. You know he's going to get dinged up and have to miss something at some point. So if you can do things to make sure that doesn't happen as often, and Madison comes out there, and he's not Delvin Cook, nobody is, but he does the job. And that's a big, big step for them. I, I, there was talk of them trading him before the season, but I'm not sure the other guys are quite ready. As good as like Ty Chandler looked in the preseason and everything. Alex Madison looked great yesterday. When you needed four or five yards, you called in Alex Madison. They went an eye, and all they did was just run it down the Packers' throat, and they were doing it well. Alex Madison is the perfect complement to Dalvin Cook because Dalvin can go out there and break off. 30-yard runs, Madison's going to go out there and give you five, six yards of carry. He's just a great power back to have. Yeah. And the and the Packers are supposed to have this vaunted defense. It didn't look like it yesterday. There was confusion. There was a lot of pointing fingers and name-calling after the game on the Packers. Like, well, I wanted to do this. I wanted to cover Justin Jefferson, but it wasn't the game plan. Um, it, they look like a team in disarray right from the start. It looked like they didn't know what to do, honestly, like you said. There was so much confusion out there for the Packers that it honestly it looked like they weren't even prepared to play that game. Yeah. Their defense what everyone everyone's been talking about this offseason, it doesn't matter that Devontae Adams is gone. Their defense is gonna come out and carry this team. They're gonna be a top five unit. They looked awful yeah. yesterday. They couldn't stop the run. Their corners were confused. And they're com- ah, sorry. Their corners are supposed to be the main highlight of that defense. Right. And they just they couldn't do anything. Yeah. Listen, Justin Jefferson, somebody's got to cover him. It's, it's that simple. It's kind of like saying, we're going to leave LeBron James open on an NBA court, or we're going to throw fastballs down the middle to Aaron Judge on a baseball field. You can't leave Justin Jefferson alone ever. Yeah. It looked like, honestly, just a lot of miscommunication and almost just – unprepared I don't want to say bad coaching because they have really good coaches but it just looked like they didn't really know what to expect or they just were not prepared and I don't know I really don't know and the Packers had to come it's not like they could come in and say well you know this team was so bad last year because they weren't so bad last year and in fact under Mike Zimmer if you give him credit for things he had his teams ready to play against the Packers every year period I mean Aaron Rodgers record against Mike Zimmer teams is not great not spectacular. Um, 
And now Kevin O'Connell is 1-0 against Aaron Rodgers, too. And Rodgers looked like, uh, again, it's Devontae Adams makes a big difference. But he looked frustrated with everything that was happening with that offense yesterday. Yeah, you could really see it with Rodgers. But that's on him, too. He's got all offseason to build chemistry with these new guys. He knew he did not have Devontae Adams since whenever they traded him. And it was on him. He's paid, what, $55 million a year to make this work, and he's not doing it. Now it's only week one. The Packers are usually right. not a great team in week one. But what I saw yesterday, it looked like Rodgers, I don't know what he's going to do until he finally develops some of the chemistry with some of these guys. And the problem here, and again, I don't feel bad for the Packers ever, um, you know, in previous years when they lose their first game poorly, like against New Orleans, against Tampa and stuff, but that's not a division game. Because now, you know, if, if it's close late in the season and the Vikings go to Lambeau and lose, well, then we're even up. You know, you don't have a tiebreaker in that scenario. And I think, too, you know, maybe Rodgers is too busy making State Farm commercials and stuff like that when he, like you say, here you have these, these two rookie receivers. You should be working with them. Um, and listen, I thought the Vikings defense played out of their minds yesterday. You had to know that Zadarius Smith was going to pin the ears back and go after Favre. Favre, my goodness, I'm getting old. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> and he did. And the, the pressure they put on there, that's what's been missing from the Vikings defense in recent years. Yeah. Almost every phase of the defense looked really good. I thought the pass rush was probably the best I've seen in a long time. Zadarius Smith and Daniel Hunter are so good at what they do. We stopped the run really well. We played the pass. I don't, there was a couple sacks that were coverage sacks. Yep. He had four or five seconds to throw, and we had such good coverage that we got to him. And usually Rodgers is good about just getting rid of the ball in those situations, but I think when they fell behind, you know, when he threw that, that interception later in the game, just kind of throws it downfield kind of a thing, that's that frustration. That, that, that's what that pass rush does. You could tell he was, start, yeah, like you said, frustrating, and he was more urgent with throwing the ball. And he was really forcing things that should not have been done. And late, and then later in the game, he started to dump it off a lot more. But, yeah, he looked frustrated. And there the Vikings defense was going to be the bend but don't break scenario. Go ahead. We have a you know two-score lead on you. We'll see what happens. You know, the, the fourth and goal stop, I was amazed. Um, I said to my wife as we were sitting there, I said, I said, I hate the play call by the Packers of just run it up the middle. Because I, I feel like in those situations, if – Everything has to go completely right, whereas if you roll your quarterback out and you give him options, there's a lot of things that can happen. And as, as, as good as Dylan is as a runner and as hard-nosed, I think the Vikings defense sniffed that one out that said there's no way that they're, you know, all this spread formation and stuff. But that was right there was that turning point of, and then to drive down and at least get a field goal out of that, that was, that was the biggest turning point in the game. Last year, that's something you don't see out of the Vikings offense. They probably run it three times and then punt because yeah. they got to stop. I mean, that offense yesterday, they got they took risks. They did things to when the defense would make a stop, they'd take advantage of it. Last year we didn't see yeah. that very often. Yeah. And when our defense made plays, it looked like it just looked better overall. The corners right. like they played well. The corners I was so impressed with how well they were covered covering for like these coverage sacks. Now granted, their wide receivers are not the best. No. No. But you're playing Aaron Rodgers, and usually he makes everyone look great. Yeah. So, yes, I was very impressed yeah. with everything. 
The kicking game, too, Greg Joseph hits a career-long field goal. I mean, that was just solid. Punting was good out of the rookie. Those things, that's what lost them games last year. Sometimes was the special teams and the lack of execution there. Special teams will win you and lose you football games. And <laughs> yes. we know that as well as anyone as Vikings yeah. fans. Yep. So quickly, to finish up here, at Philadelphia Monday night, very different look of a quarterback and everything else. Can the Vikings go 2-0? and I, I see a close game on Monday night. I don't think this is a – I think Philadelphia's in the driver's seat in the NFC East, especially with the injury to Dak Prescott of the Cowboys. It's going to be a really tough one. Philadelphia, first off, is a hard place to play. They're a really good team, really hard city to play in. I think they have a great shot to go in there and take a win, though. Okay. I think they're better than Philadelphia. I think Philly's defense – is really good, but we just we played really well against the Packers defense. Right, so it's really going to come down to how well the defense plays against Jalen Hurts yes. and how well they play against AJ Brown and um, Devonta Smith. Yeah, that offense is better than the Packers right now. Yes, yep. so it's going to come down to how well our defense plays. Sounds good. Wisdom with Wyatt. We'll be back every week here on Whatever Flips Your Waffle, dissecting each and every Vikings game. We'll get to our final interview after this brief commercial break. There's enough bad news in the world. Where can you turn for some good news? The NRHEG Star Eagle, of course. Your area newspaper, the Star Eagle, focuses on the events and people that make our area a great place to live. The NRHEG Star Eagle, your good news newspaper. To subscribe or advertise, contact Eli at 507 463 8112 or email steagle at hickorytech.net. Remember, call Eli, email him, plus you get to read the Waffle Flippers column there each and every week. 507 463 8112 or steagle at hickorytech.net. I'm excited to introduce this next segment. I've uh, kind of wanting to find people that represent the other teams that the Vikings are playing. They can give a great perspective. Uh, that you know, I don't necessarily have. So I have Rick Verbonis on. He is a big Philadelphia Philadelphia Eagles fan, and uh, he's joining us next. If you look at the Vikings schedule and you say, "Hey, I'm a fill in the blank fan, and I don't know a lot about this team," and you think you might be able to fill this segment, please email me waffleflipper22 at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at Mister D nineteen seventy three. Joining the program this week, I've got Rick Verbonis. He is a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and since the Vikings will be playing the Eagles on Monday night, thought it'd be a good thing to bring him in. He can give us the perspective from Philadelphia and the Eagles side, and uh, I can counter with the Vikings side. Uh, Rick also, just in case you fit into this category like I do, is the host of a Captain America comic book fans podcast, which is fantastic. Um, great interviews, great coverage of Captain America. I like comic books as well. And so I was able to kind of meet him through there. Uh, Rick, thanks for joining the program this week. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So both our teams got off to a 1-0 and start. Uh, Vikings pretty much handled Green Bay 23-7. to uh, The Eagles beat the Lions 38-35. to What was your, your initial reactions to the start of the season for your Eagles team? What were the good things you took out of that game? Oh, sure. I, I And by the way, you're, to all the, the Viking fans out there, uh, we were happy to help you out in the division and, and take out uh, the Lions, uh, knock, knock one more 
a defeat for them for you. We appreciate uh, that. Of course. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a, a ups and downs, ebbs and flows, right? So the, the Eagles uh, kind of went into this season um, having a, an amazing off season, just, you know, getting some, some new talent on the team, especially on the defensive side and then making that draft day uh, splash trade for AJ Brown. Um, There's a lot of expectations going into this season and, and there still are um, with the Detroit lions coming off of, I think what they had three wins last year. Right. Um, there was some expectations that uh, the Eagles probably should have um, had a little bit, not as close a game. Um, <laughs> and, and certainly in the fourth quarter when the Eagles were up uh, by 17 points, it felt pretty good, but then we, we kind of let them back into the game and, and squeaked out a, a three point victory. Um, so it was uh, ebbs and flows, but uh, overall I'd say, you know, pretty positive. Um, certainly some things to work on for, for next week against the Vikings. Right. And, you know, despite the lions poor record last year, I think as a Vikings fan, we saw great strides with the new coaching staff. They have, um, this is a different Detroit team. And, uh, uh, you know, they beat the Vikings in one game, probably should have beaten them in both last year. So uh, they're nothing to work to, uh, you know, fool around with. And as I as I was looking through the stats for your Eagles game, I noticed it was even like a, a, a sneak on a fourth and one to kind of salt the game away. That's kind of a gutsy call when you're, you know, was around the 40 yard line or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I could totally see that. But it really wasn't unexpected. Um, I, I will tell you that the Eagles, and this was going back to uh, the previous head coach, Doug Peterson, um, really has a, a really strong analytics team. And so they will, when the time is right, um, you know, make some gutsy calls on fourth downs, uh, go for two onside kicks. Um, they really look at the analytics and, and the statistics that, that show certain things like for instance you know i think the eagles won the toss right so um they they went ahead and they elected to um to kick right uh and receive in the second half because analytics show you have a slight advantage when you do that so th that's the kind of team they are so i really wasn't too surprised about them going forward on fourth and one okay and you know you look at this is this is jalen hurts's team now uh, he was 18 for 32 with 243 yards, no touchdowns, but no interceptions. But he's also the second leading rusher on the Eagles team. Is that sort of what we would expect? I mean, he'll throw some touchdowns, of course, but is that what we're going to expect to see? Is that he's going to be that multi-talented Lamar Jackson, possibly type quarterback? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, yeah, he ran for 90 yards and a touchdown. And, and there was a lot of plays. I think there was only one play where he was behind the line of scrimmage uh, by like a yard. And that was on a scramble. He wasn't sacked. He, he, um, he has a, an excellent job at keeping away from the negative plays. Um, that said, we would love to see him not run as much, right? right. We don't want to see him get hurt. Um, and he ran, you know, in my opinion, probably a little bit more than the coaches would have liked. But, you know, he is he does improvise. He does kind of is an escape artist. Um, that said, I think most of those runs came in the first half. I think he settled down. And I think in the second half, he spent some more time, you know, finding AJ Brown, uh, a little Dal Dallas Goddard, um, and, and those types of plays. So I think, I think next week 
he probably may come out a little like that in the beginning. Um, and I think it, it just takes a little time for him to kind of settle down and find that groove. Right. And you had mentioned AJ Brown, you know, the, bringing him in uh, 10 catches for 155 yards today, Goddard three catches for 60 yards. You know, they have some weapons there. And even looking at the fact that four different Eagles scored on the ground, you know, four different guys getting yeah. in. You know that's that's pretty impressive. You can put a lot of guys out there and uh, and feel pretty confident uh, in what they can do. Now defensively, certainly, <laughs> thirty five points isn't something you want to give up any game. But to come out on top and win that way uh, is still okay. But they're gonna have to clean that up. The Minnesota Vikings are a better offensive team than the Detroit Lions. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we don't want to give up 35 points. Um, and I said, you know, we had a 17 point, um, you know, advantage in the fourth quarter. Um, I think, I think the players got a little gassed at the end, uh, you know, especially on defense. Um, I think, you know, they, they didn't do a whole lot of hitting in, in training camp or preseason. And so, uh, I think, you know, the, uh, I think they got a little gassed towards the end. Um, so, and, and that said, yeah, I think the offensive, uh, you know, firepower that the Vikings are going to provide are going to certainly be um, a little bit better than the Detroit Lions. I, I will give the Detroit Lions some credit. Um, they were a better team than I anticipated. I, they have an excellent offensive line, and that made for a lot of holes for DeAndre Swift um, and uh, Johnson, I think, was was the other player. Um, so I, I, I think Dalvin Cook um, is, is going to have a, a good game against the Eagles, uh, if they don't shore that up, um, you know, they got a lot of new pieces on defense in the off season. You know, they got a son Reddick, um, as the, uh, as the outside linebacker kind of slash DN, they got, um, uh, new, uh, safety, actually two new starting safeties, but one is new to the team as of just like only a week ago. Um, then there's a, a new cornerback. There's a new, a, a new linebacker, like half the team on defense is new and they haven't played together before. So the Vikings might be getting the Eagles at a good time of the season. Um, you know, they, they still maybe need a little time to gel, um, but, you know, but we'll see. Right. And it, it's, it's always so hard early in the season. The Vikings too have switched up. They have a three, four defense this year, new defensive coordinator, um, have brought in some new moving pieces. What impressed me today watching the Vikings, and I sort of expected this, so Darius Smith came over from Green Bay, joined the Vikings defense, and he was after Aaron Rodgers all day long. <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. a little bit of a revenge game. But here's the difference, and I think the Vikings have to make a big change for next week, is that Jalen Hurts and Aaron Rodgers are two completely different quarterbacks. Uh, you know you know what you get out of Aaron Rodgers. He did not have a good game today. Um, his, his receivers did not have a good game today. And uh, Hurts, though, as a mobile quarterback, it'll be interesting to see the adjustments that the uh, that the Vikings make because you, you have to play this completely differently next week. And that's where we might be a little bit susceptible um, to what Hurts can do with his legs. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, they are completely different styles of quarterback for sure. Um, and I would also say that, you know, the Eagles wide receivers are better than the Green Bay Packers because uh, you mentioned A.J. Brown. But, you know, who was a silent person today was Devontae Smith. And he's a second year player out of oh, Alabama, yeah. you know, former Heisman Trophy winner. Um, you know, he may he may be the, you know, the, the target next week. Uh, Quez Watkins is, a, is an outside burner. 
um, he may also get some some more targets next week. So you don't know who you're going to face, but I would say, you know, our our wide receivers uh, and tight end uh, are definitely probably better than the Green Bay Packers. So I think I think that will be a little tougher for you as well. Um, running game, uh, you know, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon, you know, they're a great tandem. You you, you know you can't. You know, as far as two running backs go, it's hard to beat them. Although I think the Vikings certainly have two great ones as well. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we'll see. I, you, you mentioned that the fact the Eagles had four different runners run, uh, do a rushing touchdown, you know, including the quarterback. Um, so we have a, you know, Miles Sanders, um, you know, is he's electrifying, you know, when he's on the field and uh, he had a, he had a really good game today. Yeah. It, it, and you mentioned Jones and Dylan. And the Packers used A.J. Dillon a little bit more than they did Aaron Jones uh, to the detriment of my fantasy football team. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and Dillon's such a hard-hitting. They're, they're very different styles, whereas when you look at Delvin Cook and Alexander Madison, they're pretty similar in the styles they do, just that Cook has that that amazing athleticism and elusiveness. Mm -hmm. Justin Jefferson was impossible to stop today. But, yeah, the Packers receivers got two rookies out there, and Christian Watson dropped the first pass that was thrown to him. And he might have scored a touchdown mm. on it, um, you know. So that that's a different different setting too. But you know, Monday night in Philadelphia, it's going to be raucous. It's going to be loud. Uh, Philly fans, as the Vikings fans remember, unfortunately from the NFC Championship game when we played, um, they don't hold back. And <laughs> I, I'm afraid that 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 home field advantage, I, it, it's a tough one for me to call when I look ahead and say. Gee, who am I? Because I started the season, I said the Vikings are going to be one and one after two weeks. I just don't know which team they're going to beat, which team they're going to lose to. I, mm -hmm. I did not foresee really handling the Packers so well, um, but really have a chance. I, I don't think there's anybody. This is going to be a close game. I think comes down to stretch. Sure. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I, I think it will be a close game. Um, you know, possibly quite. You know, a shootout. Um, and, and we'll see, uh, you know, cause I, I think Kirk cousins, um, you know, talk about fantasy, right? I, I think he's, he's the redheaded stepchild of fantasy football. I, I think he doesn't get the respect he deserves. You know, uh, everybody looks at his, his, they, they don't, they, I guess the, a lot of people don't think he has a ceiling, but he has that amazing floor, right? Like you, right. you, you know what to expect out of him. And he's, he's, he's very consistent. You mentioned Justin Jefferson. I mean, that guy, listen, as Eagle fans, you know, we hate hearing the name Justin Jefferson because it's like, ah, oh, we picked Jalen Rieger, right? Yeah. You know, right the, the right before Justin Jefferson. And um, let me tell you, no Eagles fan will let, you know, Howie Roseman, you know, forget about that. Although, listen, we we love A.J. Brown and we think he's going to be a, a beast for us, you know, for hopefully for the next four years. But there's something to be said about, you know, a young wide receiver on a on a rookie contract. Um, you know, like Justin Jefferson, but Hey, you guys got Jalen Rieger now and, yeah, uh, yeah. good luck with that. Yeah. Well, and, and all he did today was, was return punts and nothing big. Most of the time he had a fair catch. Uh, but, but you have to wonder if, uh, Kevin O'Connell might sneak a player or two in there for him and sort of a revenge, uh, factor. But I would guess if he steps foot on the field offensively, the Eagles defense will perk their ears up and be very aware of what could happen. With them <laughs> up there. So, uh, yeah. And, and he probably will get a few boos. I, I would guess so. Yeah. It, it, it could be one of, I mean, Vikings fans hope it's one of those where maybe the system, maybe the coaching style just works for him. Um, but it's, be, yeah. it's hard for him to get on the field when you have Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, 
you know, Rager is at best the fourth receiver on this team. Yeah. So. Yeah. And listen, I, I, I wish him the best. I think he's a good kid. I think he, I think he gets uh, a little too much in his, his head. Um, and so maybe, you know, a change of scenery, um, you know, will do him well. And I, I wish him well. I, I, I think he's got a lot of talent. Right. I just think he, he has made, you know, he spent too much time on social media listening to the doubters, you know? So yeah. I, 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 I wish him the best though. Yeah. So your prediction, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, what, what's it going to be next Monday night in Philadelphia? Well, Mark, I, you know, this early in the season is, is anybody's guess, right? We don't know what our teams are yet, but I will say, I do think the Eagles squeak one out in a, in a, in a tight, high scoring game. I, I think the home field has a lot to do with that. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the Eagles crowd is going to be rocking. It's a, it's a Monday night. Um, so, you know, people are going to be <laughs> ready to go. And, but I do, I do see it being a high scoring game. I think, um, uh, ultimately it, it, it'll come down probably to, you know, who has the ball last. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we're going to see both scores in the thirties, just like the Eagles game today. And I'm leaning toward picking the Eagles as well. I just, I, the Vikings were playing at home. That made a big difference. Um, playing against a division rival and um, they're going to face some reality at some point. And I'd rather they face it against the Eagles than against the lions the following week in a division. Oh, game. Sure. So, so I've got the Eagles winning by, uh, by a field goal at the end. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I hope I'm wrong and uh, you hope you're right. So <laughs> yeah. 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 But so, listen, the Vikings are, have a good team. They, they, yeah. they're going to do well this year. Um, you know, they, they have a chance uh, at the division with the, the Packers, you know, win today. Uh, I, I think, you know, things are, are very positive for them. So, yeah. uh, and, and there's a lot of us that are hoping that the Eagles can dethrone the Dallas Cowboys in the NFC East. We're rather sick of seeing the Cowboys there. Um, and, and who knows, maybe come playoff time, both these teams will be there and we'll be talking once again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I That's would love cool. to love to talk to you with you at, at that point. Ho hopefully that comes true. Yeah. Rick Brabantis, thanks for joining the program again. Uh, if you're a comic book fan like I am, I'd encourage you to check out his Captain America comic book fans podcast. Some incredibly good stuff on there. And uh, you can also join the, the Facebook group that I'm part of with that. Uh, Rick does a really nice job of moderating, the, moderating that as well. And he's a football fan. Can't go wrong there. Rick, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for having us, Mark. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. Short and sweet this week, we've covered so much with our three interviews. Two things, hats off to Lindsey Whalen, uh, enshrined in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame this last weekend. Uh, Well-deserved for Lindsey Whalen, high school, college, pros, and now a coach at the University of Minnesota. And speaking of the University of Minnesota, your Golden Gophers took care of business against Western Illinois, 62-10, to did what they're supposed to do. And now they get Colorado at home. Again, a game you should win. Can't overlook them before the Big Ten schedule and a big game at Michigan State. So we'll hope for much of the same from the Gophers. And, uh, again, well-balanced offense, defense. Everything was there against a vastly overmatched team. That's what we like to see. Uh, things look good for the Gophers. Iowa does not look like they have anything together right now at all. Their offense is really bad. Wisconsin lost this last weekend. You know, a lot of things are breaking the Gophers' way, but they have to take care of business when the Big Ten schedule starts. And that's the state of Minnesota sports.
And now it's time for This Week in Minnesota Sports History. On September 14th in 1989, Jeff Reardon became the first player to record at least 30 saves in five consecutive seasons. Of course, he was part of uh, the World Series championship team in 1987, big part of that team. In 1994, on September 14th, Major League Baseball owners voted to cancel the rest of the season. Didn't really impact the Twins very much. I always felt bad for the Montreal Expos. They're having a fantastic season and uh, had a chance to really do something. The only way it really impacted the Twins was that Ken Herbeck's retirement started a little bit sooner. In 2002, on September 14th, the Twins AAA team, the Edmonton Trappers, became the first Twins AAA team to win a championship. And I believe it was either the next year or the year after that, they actually moved their AAA franchise to Rochester, New York, and now, of course, it is the St. Paul Saints. On September 15th in 2002, the Twins beat Cleveland 5 to nothing, clinching the Central Division the earliest they had ever clinched a spot in the postseason. In 2008, on September 15th, the Twins and Target announced a 25-year naming rights deal for the new stadium that opened in 2010. There's some uh, rumors. Nobody ever really knows. It might be like $10 million a year or something like that uh, that Target pays to have their name on Target Field. In 2019, on September 15th, the Twins beat Cleveland and tied a Major League Baseball record with four players with at least 30 home runs each. Nelson Cruz, Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, and Mitch Garver. More on that later in this week. On September 16th in 1993, Dave Winfield got his 3,000th hit, the 19th player to do so in Major League Baseball history. The Twins won 5-4 over Oakland, and Winfield was the first to wear a Twins uniform when he got it. But then, three years later in 1996, on the same date, September 16th, Paul Molitor became the 21st player to reach 3,000 hits, the only to hit a triple to do so. The Twins lost in Kansas City in that game 6-5. On September 17th in 1961, the, uh, the Vikings played their first ever game, beating the Chicago Bears 37-13. A huge upset um, with their very first game, and the Bears were considered pretty good. Uh, Fran Tarkenton came off the bench, became the first NFL quarterback to throw four touchdowns in his first game. In 1988, on September 17th, Jeff Reardon, him again, became the first pitcher to record 40 or more saves in both the American League and the National League. In 2011, on September 17th, the Twins honored broadcaster John Gordon as he prepared to retire after 25 years with the team. I remember being at that game. It was kind of a cold, rainy day. They were selling hot chocolate and and um, chicken wild rice soup and stuff there, and I didn't even know that that was going to be going on that day, but it was kind of nice to be at the stadium when that happened. In 2019, on September 17th, Miguel Sano hit home run number 30, setting a new Major League Baseball record for a team that they now had five players at that mark of 30 or more. The Twins beat the White Sox 9-8. to On September 18th, in 1966, Baltimore's Johnny Unitas threw four touchdowns against the Vikings and became the NFL's career leader at 212 at that time. That, of course, has since been broken, smashed, demolished in the pass-happy NFL today. On September 18th in 1975, Harmon Killebrew hit the final home run of his career, number 573, but it was in a Kansas City Royals uniform, and they beat the Twins 4-3. to 
In 2002, on September 18th, Eddie Guardado got his 43rd save of the year in a 2-0 win over the White Sox, a new Twins record. He would finish with 45. On September 19th in 1972, Cesar Tovar became the first twin to hit for the cycle at home at Met Stadium in a 5-3 win over Texas. His last hit was a walk-off home run. In 2019, on September 19th, the Twins beat the Royals 8-5. Nelson Cruz had two home runs, his seventh multi-home run game that season, breaking Killebrew's team record of six. On September 20th in 1981, Gary Gaetti made his Major League Baseball debut with a home run in his first at-bat off Charlie Huff. The Twins lost to the Rangers 4-3. In 2004, on September 20th, the Twins clinched their third consecutive Central Division title by beating the White Sox 8-2 on the road. And on September 20th in 2015, Rod Carew had a massive heart attack while playing golf and survived miraculously. Um, when you read the story about it, it's, it's unbelievable that he's still alive today. Ultimately, he needed a heart transplant, and he still raises money um, for heart health awareness to this day. For our local listeners in the New Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva area, this week in NRHEG Sports on September 15th, volleyball is home against Triton. The football team will look to uh, get back on track after an 0-2 start September 16th at JWP in the Golden Brick game. Um, up in that nice stadium they have in Janesville. September 17th, not a sporting event, but the Waseca Marching Classic. A great time to go up and watch the parade and all the fantastic bands that will be marching there. September 19th, oh, I should mention the Waseca Marching Classic is at noon. Um, that's when the parade starts. September 19th, volleyball is at TCU. And then September 20th, the cross-country team at NRHEG hosts their home meet this season out at the golf course, and volleyball is at USC. Again, home games are streamed on the NFHS Network invite you to tune in if you can't be at the game, and I'll be providing play-by-play on those games. Well, that'll do it for another helping of waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you decided to spend an hour here, and I hope you'll continue to tune in each week, Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. If you can't catch the original broadcast, each week's episode replays every evening at that same time. Shows also archive to Spotify and YouTube. You can go check out all the previous episodes and some of the great interviews we've had. If you want to be part of the process and help chart the course of this ship, email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com. Message me on Twitter, at MrD1973. Maybe you're a fan of one of the opposing teams that the Vikings will play this year, and you think, hey, Rick Veronis, that was pretty cool that he was on. I'd like to talk about my team when the Vikings play them. Certainly let me know, and uh, we'll set something up. Next week, we'll dive back into the world of Minnesota sports. Will the Twins make any sort of a run to try to get back into things, or will they be done? How will the Vikings and Gophers be looking as they head into the next part of their schedule? I'll have some more guests to delve into all that and more. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.